One of the biggest challenges leaders have is how to lead and communicate through uncertainty and change. On today's show, how to do exactly that. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 224. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you to develop your leadership skills. And I'm so glad that you have joined me today because I have with us someone who's got a wonderful practical perspective for us on a topic that almost every leader needs to navigate. And in my experience, not only personally, but with my clients, very few leaders feel fully equipped to be able to handle well and to handle with confidence. And that is the topic of organizational change. And how do you help your organization to navigate change and to deal with change and also to lead change? And I am really glad to be able to welcome Jacqueline Farrington to the show today. Jacqueline is a communications consultant and executive coach with Farrington Partners and works with senior and board-level leaders. She specializes in helping executives create high-impact personal brands and communication strategies with a particular focus on cross-generational and cross-cultural communications. She has extensive experience with multinationals in investment banking, advertising, pharmaceuticals, media, and retail, and has both coached and led global teams in Europe, India, Mexico, and the U.S., and in addition to her work as an executive coach, Jacqueline has taught at Yale University uh, previously for over 15 years, and she's also taught at the London Business School. Jacqueline, I can imagine that with all that experience, you have seen your fair share of organizational change, maybe even more than you wanted to. <laughs> I've seen it and experienced it. And yes, probably more than I wanted to. <laughs> this this is one of those topics you and I were talking when we first uh, got connected that Everyone has to, I shouldn't say everyone, but almost every leader has to deal with this at some point as a huge part of their job. And yet many of us just never, not only aren't equipped, but literally in in many cases have never even seen a model on organizational change or read a book on organizational change or attended a class. So let's start by practically defining what organizational change is and maybe why leaders need to be attuned to it. So I was really happy to hear you in the introduction highlight leadership around change because I think that often people have a perception that organizational change is about change management and not change leadership. So the distinction between those two is that While they both deliver change, change management is about the the processes that we use to deliver change, the the levers and the tools. So that may be, do we have town halls? Do we use emails? Do we use posters? Change leadership is really about the vision, uh, creating a sense of urgency and, and speaking to both the hearts and minds of your employees. And and it's interesting that uh, in research done by both McKinsey and uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. John Carter, 
They found that nearly 70% of all major organizational change efforts fail. Mm. And part of the reason for this is that organizations often get bogged down in change management while ignoring change leadership. It's almost like the conversation I sometimes have with clients, Jacqueline, where we talk when we're talking about a training program is we get maybe sometimes too much into the what the room's going to look like and the food that's going to be served and the time of the session and all that. And sometimes the focus on the actual content becomes almost a secondary conversation. And I, I, I see a little bit of an analogy here too of maybe an overfocus by some leaders on the logistics of at the process and the procedure, but not necessarily the looking at the big picture of why are we doing this in the first place and what's the message we're trying to send. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. And also, who are we trying to send this to? So recognizing that everyone has their own unique response to change. And another study that came out showed that Generally, when an organization introduces change, right from the get-go, 20% of that organization's employees will support the change for different reasons, but they, they will support it right at the starting gate. But the rest, about 80%, are either fence-sitters or active resistors. Mm. And so in, in terms of looking at change leadership, often leaders forget about that. And they, they don't pay enough attention to the 20% that are supporting it. And they don't use them as champions to sell the change. And they also don't spend enough time with the 80% who are on the fence or act actively sabotaging the change. It's interesting that you say that because my thought, if I take myself out of an organizational, you know, cultural reality for a moment is my thought is you, you, the likelihood of, of engaging with that 20% would be pretty high. Like the, these are the people who are excited about it, who are excited about supporting the change, moving it forward. And yet you say that leaders sometimes really don't spend as much time there. Tell me more about that. Why is that an obstacle? Well, if they're not actively involved in the change, if they're not recognized for buying into the change, for uh, supporting it, for being a champion of it, they can actually turn to resistors because that they don't feel recognized for their contribution, for their value, their ideas are not heard. We know that the, the minute someone's ideas are shut down, not heard, if they... they perceive a lack of status or a lowering in status, they can become saboteurs of the change. And so often leaders look at champions and think, oh, I don't really need to pay attention to this person or these group of people because they really believe in it. They're, they're driving it. And if those people start to feel ignored, um, if they start to feel that their talents and their skills are not being used to drive the change and support the change, they can become highly disengaged. Oh, that's interesting. And a good coaching reminder for all of us too. It reminds me, you're probably familiar with the book, First Break All the Rules that Gallup put out a number of years ago, Jacqueline. And, and it, it really did challenge a lot of us as leaders to recognize that many leaders do 
take it, um, what's the right term, take for granted sometimes the top performers, the people who are most engaged with them, and really the best leaders, their research found, spend the most time with their best people. And so it sounds like from a change leadership standpoint that that's a, that's a smart practice as well. Yes, although it's, it's crucial to pay attention to those 80% that are on the fence about it or are active resistors. Uh, because if, if you don't pay attention to uh, this group of people, then they can start the rumor mill. And they can often start to move into not only feeling disengaged or maybe on the fence about the change, but confused, fearful, resentful. And they start talking. So that can spread through an organization like wildfire. And if that's not paid attention to and, and addressed quickly, um, you can often see hemorrhaging of talent, low productivity, increased sick days. So, so that's an issue as well. And I'm willing to bet that most of the people listening have not only heard of that happening, but have experienced it firsthand. Uh, so many times. In fact, it's it's often poked fun of in the popular media and in TV programs and movies of how the organization gets behind this big change and everyone kind of rolls their eyes. And um, and we've all seen changes fail. And so um, I, I want to get into some of the details on how we can approach that a little better as a as a as a leader. But before even going there, one of the things that you got me thinking about, Jacqueline, when we first talked was. What some of the neuroscience is saying about how we approach change and just how we as human beings tend to tend to handle things from even a biologic perspective. And I was wondering if you, if you could maybe give us a little perspective on what some of that new research is saying and how you use it when you're working with leaders to help frame their thinking. Sure. Yeah. So the research coming out in neuroscience is is really exciting around this, and and it's funny that in many ways it seems like common sense. It, it's often concepts that we've been working with for years. It's just now with the technology we have that the science is backing it up. How people respond to change is based on their previous experience with change. So it's linked to their past memories is, is what we're finding in neuroscience. And through those past experiences and memories, they have either developed what neuroscience calls a reward approach personality trait. That is, they, they are motivated by moving towards reward or a threat avoidance. So in other words, um, they are about minimizing risk, avoiding threat. And when you think about uh, the, the population of an organization, that you have people who, who are motivated by moving towards rewards, and then you have people who are motivated by avoiding threat and minimizing risk. If a leader doesn't tailor his or her messages to both of those those motivational types, those personality traits, they risk alienating a huge part of their employees. But, but there's, there's actually one other piece of that. And that is that if, if you think about those 20% of the people who initially buy into the change. So of those 20%, some of those people are going to actively embrace it because they have an anticipation of the reward around the, the change. They can really see the vision and what the benefits will be. The other people in those 20% are, 
are going to recognize the threat of not changing. So they will, will see the risk if they don't adapt the change and, and move forward on that. But then there's two other categories. So there are people who are uh, reward-oriented who don't see the reward. The vision isn't clear to them. And they may often actively resist, actively fight the change because that, that reward, that those benefits are not clear to them. And in fact, they may feel that the, the change brings about a, a threat in some way. So it lowers their status in the organization in some way, or it creates uncertainty for them. Then you've got people who are threat avoidance personalities and they won't actively fight against the change, but they might be what, what we would call deer in headlights. You know, the, it, it activates that, that freeze part of the fight, flight or freeze reaction, that, that um, survival instinct. And they may just freeze, put on the brakes and, because they are uncertain. Is there, is there a reward in this? Maybe the risk is too high for going forward with the change. I'm not sure what to do. And so, again, if leaders don't address those people in their messaging, um, they risk alienating and losing those people. Wow, that's fascinating. So, uh, and just so I understand, because I'm guessing other folks might wonder about this too. Um, yeah. The folks who are in those those second two categories who have the reward orientation or the threat orientation, but but they may not necessarily have that all figured out yet. Is that where those people always land, or is that a function of the situation and how well they understand the vision and how well the leader has communicated that? I, I hope I'm asking that clearly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And, and, and I, the answer is both. If you think about a goal that you achieved recently and think about what motivated you to achieve that goal. So, for, for example, I, I was talking to someone the other day who runs marathons, and he said to me, oh, what, what really gets me started running a marathon is I think about all the rewards of running that marathon. Mm. And uh, so I think about the fact that I'll get in shape, and I'll lose weight, and I'll raise money for charity, and, and I'll have this sense of accomplishment. And that's what kickstarts him into training for the marathon. Not a few days later, I had a conversation with another person who completely changed their diet. And they were talking about the fact that what kickstarted them into changing their diet, they, they knew for years they had to change their diet. It wasn't until they had a pretty frightening health episode that they realized, I have to change or else. So in getting both of them to identify that, they realized, oh, actually, that's that tends to be what motivates me uh, to work towards a goal in general. And so we do have our, our preferred trait, our preferred, um, and again, this is not conscious, but we have our preferred way of reacting to change based on our previous experiences. It gets a little complicated when you, when you get into looking at what actually happens in the brain. But if you think about, um, as a leader, we send a message out to employees around a change. And that suddenly comes into their brains. 
it goes straight into what, what's called the limbic system, which is the older part of our brain where the amygdala rests. Um, and it's also our emotion center. So they, they start processing that. It's also where our older memories rest. They start processing that based on their emotional response. And usually with change, we know from, from research and looking at the universal response to change, with negative change, the initial feelings people have described are shock, numbness, um, moving into anger, denial. If it's a positive change, usually those feelings are elation, celebration, positive feelings. But that message comes in, it gets processed through that emotion center and previous memories. It then passes into what's called the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that is um, the center of working memory and where we make analytical, cognitive, day-to-day -day decisions. So the, the two kind of blend together what's happening in our current environment based on what we've experienced in the past to then create a judgment around the, the current situation, the current change. And by the way, this happens so quickly that we, by the t we're not even cognitively aware of it. By the time we're cognitively aware of it, we've already started to take action. Well, and I, I can relate so much to what you're saying, because if I, if I think back through changes I've experienced myself in organizations, that if I step back and really think about how I process something, a lot of it was the result of how I've approached things in the past or, or past changes or how I've processed that. And it, it, I haven't really thought about that from the framework of organizational change before. So this is, this is really valuable. And I'm, I'm thinking as, I'm, as we're talking about this, that one of the things that people will come away from this conversation thinking is like, okay, I have, we have this change we're about to initiate in our organization. I've got my team of 20 people what, I don't necessarily know that, that how they've ha had to navigate change over the last five, ten years, or in their previous mm -hmm. career, or previous organization. Um, it, it, do you have roadmaps or things you coach leaders on, Jacqueline, that help them to navigate, like how how you can p potentially position that change in that vision to one person versus another person, based on some of these frameworks and how they play out. Well, I think you have to first assume that you're going to get all these reactions. Mm. So it's interesting that, that often leaders approach change, excuse me, from their perspective, not from their followers' perspective. Oh, and interesting. So, Tell me more about that. Well, so they're showing up to communicate the change, and they've done uh, a lot of the, the hard work that has led them to this decision. Um. And so it's, it's easy to forget that they've already done the, maybe it's the research or they've had pushback from their executive team or, um, you know, they've done the hard work of saying, okay, this is what we need to do. Here's the urgency. Here's why we need to make this change. And they often forget that people will buy into the change for their reasons not for the leaders, not necessarily for the, the leaders' reasons. So if in preparing that message, a leader can assume, look, I'm, I'm going to get all of these different reactions. I'm, I'm going to get the whole spectrum to this change. Therefore, 
in my messaging, I need to uh, address all of these different reactions to change and um, find ways to, to speak to and be inclusive of all these different reactions. I also need to do follow-up. So um, listening is, is key. And too often I see leaders who transmit a change without being willing to just listen just hear from their employees, their followers, their experiences, their questions, their ideas. Often they have fabulous ideas that actually come out of their lack of tolerance for the change or their fear of the change, um, but they're good ideas that leaders should listen to in terms of implementing it. And I am, uh, the word for me that's coming up as part of this too, which m- might seem odd, but I'm guessing you've navigated this before too, Jacqueline, is the, there's a, I've had conversation with a few folks who are in our mastermind uh, community about big organization changes that are going through. And one of the things we've had a conversation about is the word grief and that, yeah. that it, it, that comes up in a lot of, even in good change in an organization that. People are get used to something, a, a way of doing something, and there's a sense of a loss almost of, I don't necessarily have the control or I don't get to do something the way I did before, even if it's a positive change. And that in some ways, depending on the situation, people are, are navigating a little bit of grief too. Yeah, a- absolutely. And any change, whether it's positive or negative, um, creates uncertainty. And, and that's another piece that's come out of the research from neuroscience is that our brains don't like uncertainty. Mm. We're not comfortable with it. If you think about when we go back to uh, the dawn of man, uncertainty equaled potential death, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you don't know what's in your environment, you don't know what risks are there. You don't know how to prepare for them, um, which means you could end up being someone's lunch or something's lunch. That sense of uncertainty can move people into feelings of depression, feelings of of grief. Often what leads to that is not giving them the opportunity to ask questions, not being fully transparent, not giving people the chance to seek clarification where where they need clarification because everybody's going to have their own different needs for clarification. What does this mean to me? What does this mean to my team, my group? Uh, and, and, and again, you know, having walked on both sides of the street, a leader may feel like, well, I think I'm being perfectly clear and I'm being 100% transparent. What's the issue? Um, but that's from their perspective because they've done the heavy lifting before they even started communicating the change and recognizing that the minute that message lands, their employees are now going to have to start doing the heavy lifting. And a part of that is dealing with the uncertainty. Yeah. And they're at step one then. And the leader, a lot of times, like you said, is at step 10 or 15. They've had days, months, weeks to process all of this. They're at a at more of a comfort zone with where things are. And yet that's the first time that that team or that employee is dealing with that. And that's one of the reasons I really appreciate you bringing in the neuroscience here when you and I first talked, because I hadn't thought about this very much. Like you said, it makes sense when you think about it, like just from a, like a common sense standpoint, but I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective 
of why the biology is so key. And it really is, it kind of goes back to our roots as, as human beings of when that uncertainty is there, we, we jump into some of those biological responses. And so a, 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 an, an appreciation of that really does help us to lead better. Yeah, and things like status. Uh, so uh, again, some fabulous research that's been done by David Rock in, in neuroscience, and he's looked at the role of status. So if, if people feel that their status is raised through the change, that's a reward that's going to help them buy into the change. It activates the reward centers of the brain. It actually releases dopamine. But if they feel that their status is lowered, that is also intrinsically linked to uncertainty. And someone's status can so easily and accidentally get lowered where we're not even aware of it. Mm. So for example, if someone says, you know, I've got a really great idea and that idea is shot down or that, that idea is just not even acknowledged or listened to, their status can become instantly lowered which the knock-on effect then is they can move into uncertainty, which can then kick in a threat avoidance response to the change. Yeah, it triggers all those responses that you were just talking about. And I, I, um, I also think back to just not only what you said earlier about how that, that 20% that's with you can, can change. And so how it's not even just the first conversation, but the conversations ongoing in how we respond to people, how we listen, the airtime people get can also affect the engagement folks have with whether or not they're going to support the change or go along with it or even actively resist it. Right. When speaking to employees on change, it, it's important that for people who are reward-oriented, the, the, the benefits are crystal clear. The, the rewards are crystal clear. For people who have a threat avoidance, it's important to create messaging that shows how, um, look, this change is actually going to lessen this risk. So I'll, I'll give you an example of if the changes around um, technology. We need to upgrade our technology platforms. Why? So on the reward side, the why is because that gives us a competitive advantage. So if I'm a rewards-oriented person, my brain is going to go, okay, more competitive means uh, higher revenue, greater success for the company, possibly promotion, increased uh, pay for me, boom, 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 all these benefits start to play out in my mind. If I'm threat avoidant and we say, if we don't upgrade our technology platforms, we will lose our competitive advantage. My brain is going to go, ah, lose our competitive advantage. We start to lose revenue. Maybe they lose headcount. Job security is at risk. And so that's a simple example of speaking to um, both of those groups and being inclusive of both of those groups. And and I, I I really love the I mean one of the big takeaways I'm taking from this conversation and I, I hope uh, the folks listening will too is that the assumption that both of those people um, are on the team that both of those perspectives are showing up and that as a leader we're being intentional in advance on the the communication we have about addressing both of those frameworks that people are coming from um, because we know <laughs> from the research and from our own practical experience that that those are the kinds of things that are going through people's minds and so uh, that that helps a lot if we can do both of those then 
I know one of the things that you think about with your clients too is how to communicate change differently to different audiences depending on who the who the leader is speaking to. And I was wondering if you could say something about that because I know many of the leaders in our community do speak to different audiences. There's employees, there's customers, there's a board. Uh, how do you help people approach that and what kinds of things should we be conscious of when thinking about those audiences? So I think the key word there is inclusion. And it's being aware, first of all, who are your constituents? You've got to understand that. And then secondly, understanding their perspectives. Um, I had a a client that was delivering global change. and, And so one of the levers they used to deliver that was to really spend time not in large town hall meetings, but in small focus groups and they designated a cultural ambassador for each country Hmm. who spent time listening to people in focus groups, um, hearing from their perspective what the change meant to them, um, how they envisioned the future for uh, themselves within that change, and then being able to feed that back to the senior leaders in uh, in the organization in terms of, well, here's culturally – Uh, where our constituents are. And so because of that, here's how we need to tailor the message. Even here are some tweaks we need to make to the change so that it fits within this culture. Fabulous. And, you know, it it all comes back so much of the conversation we have on the show, Jacqueline, all comes all comes back to who's the audience, Uh, whether that audience is the audience in the presentation or the change conversation, or one-on-one coaching is how do we first look at things from the audience's perspective and the party we're speaking to or trying to communicate to, meet them there, and then be able to, once we've met them there, to be able to then um, encourage them to look at something maybe a different way or from a different framework. And I, I, I love that example. What a great, uh, what a great way to do that. And you know, we could talk for hours. So I, I hope we can have you back and to continue this conversation because there's there's so much great experience you have in this area. And um, I'm wondering before we we leave people because of the fact that the I don't think most leadership development programs or even go as far as say a lot of MBA programs don't do as great a job of of really looking at change and 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 um, and leading change in organizations well. I'm wondering if maybe we could suggest a couple of models or books that would be good starting points for people who really do want to get into this more and then also maybe are looking for a little bit of the the process, the change management type things we had talked about early on, Jacqueline. Any particular books that you or models that you found have been helpful to clients over the years? Yeah, well, I, I, I love David Rock's book, Your Brain at Work, and it's not specifically focused on change, but it is focused on how, how our brains function at work. And, and it talks about the role of status, uncertainty, some of the things we didn't talk about, like social relatedness. Um, so, so that's a great book. I also love a book called The Progress Principle. Mm. which is about the inner life of work for people and how they perceive events, they take in events, they then make assumptions, they tell narratives about those events, which then affect their emotions, which then affect their outputs. 
and how, how productive they are. And then finally, one of my favorite models and, and books is Overcoming Immunity to Change. So, so that really looks at this idea that most of us have a built-in immunity in our brain to change. And even if it's a positive change, our brain will often put on the, the brakes just to stop it simply because it takes us into uncertainty and our brains have developed habits that have served us, that has, have helped us thrive and survive in the past. So when we start to change those habits, even if they're good changes, the brain naturally is going to put on a break if it senses a threat or, or a risk. Jacqueline, I have a graduate degree in this field, and yet there's a whole bunch of things from this conversation today that I had never thought of, and you're bringing in new things for me. I know you are for our audience too. So thanks a ton for this perspective. I really appreciate it. I know uh, our community is going to really appreciate it too. And uh, for folks who'd like to connect with you or maybe learn more about your work, what's the best way for people to track you down? I'm on LinkedIn, and farringtonpartners.com is the website. Perfect. Well, we'll put links to all that in the show notes. Uh, Jacqueline, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate your uh, your leadership in this area. I know you bring to clients and I really appreciate your perspective for us too. Thank you. It's been great to be here. Jacqueline Farrington is a communications consultant and executive coach with Farrington Partners. A huge thanks to Jacqueline for your wisdom in this area. I know we'll be talking more about this on the show as time goes on. I just uh, I really value her practical approach here. As so many things I'm thinking about in context of this conversation, even though, as I mentioned in the interview, I've done a lot of thinking and study on this particular topic over the years. There are always new things to learn, and I really love it when you can frame something like she did in just a way of like, here's a couple of simple things that if you keep these in mind, doesn't necessarily make them easy, but if you can keep them in mind as a leader and how you're communicating, will help you to be a lot more effective in situations like this. So thanks, Jacqueline, for that. I really appreciate it a ton. And a few follow-up items on uh, from recent shows. Uh, first of all, a huge thank you to everyone who's already jumped in and has joined me on the five days to your best year ever course that we have partnered with Michael Hyatt on. We had a tremendous response in the last week. Uh, Thank you. Uh, And in fact, I'm a little swamped on email at the moment. I hope to be caught up by the time that this episode airs. Uh, But if you have sent me your receipt already for the course, I will be getting back to you. And a reminder for everyone who does uh, participate in the course with me, I will be hosting a live face-to-face webinar And it's all going to be by video on Saturday, February 6th at 10 a.m. Pacific time, uh, February 6th, 2016, that is. And so if you've already participated in the course and joined it, send me your receipt to feedback at coachingforleaders.com, and I will make sure that you get an invitation to join me for that. It is going to be a big group of people, and I'm really excited to start having some conversations with the folks in the course leading up to that on what you're doing to get 2016 kicked off. And it is not too late to still take advantage of getting involved in that as well and the course. Uh, If you want to get started, episode 222 is a great starting point. Uh, But the fast way to go check it out is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash life score. There's a free assessment there that Michael Hyatt's team has developed on. Just takes about 10 minutes to do to assess where you are in your life. 
both professionally and personally. And when you get to the end of that assessment, I think you'll have a good sense of where you are. And if you're happy with where you are and you've got a good plan going into 2016, uh, that's awesome. And if you're not, and if you're like me and you take that assessment, you're like, okay, I'm okay in a few areas and there's a lot more I want to do and you're looking for a roadmap for doing that, then it's a great roadmap for that. So again, coachingforleaders.com slash life score. Once you do that, you'll get more information about how to proceed if you choose to. So again, thanks for everyone for supporting the community and supporting Coaching for Leaders. And most importantly for all of us, getting started on a great plan for 2016. I am really looking forward to getting into the course myself and setting all my goals. So uh, can't wait to talk to many of you on that. And speaking of communication, uh, as you know, many of you are part of the Coaching for Leaders weekly update that goes out on email. And I realized in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten a few emails from folks who have sent in uh, something to me and said, hey, I haven't been getting them or I, I realize they've been going to a different folder in my inbox. And I know some people are aware of this. And if you use a Gmail account, this is going to be specifically relevant for you. I did a quick look at our list uh, this morning of all the folks who get the weekly leadership guide and, and almost a, almost half of the people who receive it are actually have subscribed with a Gmail account. So this is really relevant for all of you. If you use the tabs that Gmail now supports in your account that has different um, tabs of your primary inbox, and there's also a tab for promotions, uh, because it's a larger and larger group of people now that are receiving the leadership updates each week, a lot of times Gmail will deliver that to your promotions tab. And if you're happy with it there, you don't need to do anything. But sometimes people miss that. So if you'd like it to go to your primary inbox, you can do two things that will help to make sure you get those messages each week. Uh, one of them is to add the Coaching for Leaders email address where it comes from to your contacts. And the email that uh, the weekly updates always come from is feedback at coachingforleaders.com. So if it's not already in your address book, you may want to do that. That'll help make sure it's delivered. But the best thing you can do is to, when you see one of those in the promotions tab, is just to drag it over into your primary inbox. You can either physically drag it on Gmail or you can just right-click and say move to your primary tab. If you do that, it will, it should deliver it to your primary inbox if that's where you'd like it. And I know for a few of the folks I talk to, that will help a ton as far as getting that ongoing delivery. And again, if you don't want that, leave it as is. But for those of you who do want it to go to your primary inbox, that will help a ton on Gmail. And that affects uh, almost half of you get the weekly leadership updates. Thanks again for uh, for being a part of that, and I hope that is helpful to you. And speaking of those updates, if you're not already receiving them, I do publish a weekly leadership guide. It's delivered to your inbox every Wednesday, and it includes my thoughts and recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, books, writing. Uh, sometimes I'll write an article each week that'll support your development between the shows, and it includes a brief overview as well and a link to the show notes. So we'll have all the notes of uh, what Jacqueline and I discussed today and the book recommendations. So if you listen on the go like me, it'll be helpful to you in continuing to get an ongoing resource during the week. And if you're not already aware, when you join that weekly leadership guide, you'll get access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others. And it also includes brief summaries from me on the value of each one of those books. It's an 11-page guide, and you can get access to all of that at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And thanks again for all of you who are a part of that each week. And a big thank you this week to Jungle Telegraph. And I hope I'm saying your name correctly. 
way out in Norway for the real kind review on iTunes. I think it's our first written review from Norway on iTunes. Thank you so much. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, and they found the show uh, because of Simon Sinek, who was on last week. Uh, thanks for the kind words about Simon. I really enjoyed that conversation as well. I, I hope many of you did. And thanks for the kind notes online. Hey, if you'd like to leave a review as well, iTunes is a great way to do it. If you've been listening to the show for the bit for a bit, uh, it, if I can talk, <laughs> if you've listened to the show. Oh boy. Well, so much for the perfect finish. Hey, have a great week. Uh, thanks in advance if you leave a review and I look forward to talking to you real soon. Take care.